0: Na
1: na na na.
0: Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Snipers Horde. Been a little bit. We're out doing some stuff, and I got Chris Way here with me. Say hi. Hello. Hey, we just finished our Mountain Hunter course up at Cameo. What a hell of a friggin' weekend we had. Perfect weather, great students to do this with. And now this is the first time Chris and I, other than some like notes via text, that we're talking about it. So what I wanted to do in this podcast, in this episode specifically, is we just had a a new mountain hunter course. We changed up a lot from the March class to now. Uh, we're, We're fine tuning things and... We're kind of flushing this out, and we think we're in a really good spot, but we want to talk about it, like, cold with you guys. So it's not like we spoke about it and went, oh, this is neat. Let's have a podcast. Instead, we know, like, we're going to be going over what we saw and how we're going to make things better. So in a way, you guys are getting to see how the sausage is made. And I don't know. I just think that it's – it's it was such a good course, and I really think, like, in the next – I can do a four-day thing now that would blow away any program out there, combining what I'm doing with what Chris is doing. Putting these two together, I just think the flow, the knowledge, the results we saw are are really just, boom, pretty big. So, Chris, yeah, what do you think, man? Like, just a quick, before we get into it, just
1: like a a general mindset. Yeah, I I think you're right. Um, It was a really amazing class in part because we fused two models together and we applied it over three days and we had a huge spectrum of shooters from military to pure hunters that have never thought about competition at all. And what we saw was progress in all of their skills in a measurable way, uh, happiness across the, pl- across the board with, with all of the shooters and it was it was just a really a really good time, and the takeaways I think for everybody, including including myself, were massive.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the at the end of the day, you want to educate people quickly and easily, and the focus for like my class, I'm just like I was thinking about this today because I'm leaving tomorrow for Alaska, uh, getting ready to do Mark and Frank classes up there. We have our our PR one and then a PR two up in Alaska, but my PR one. It's been refined through through Mark and I over the years like so eight years of us working together we refine this And I was thinking about that today because I knew we're, we were gonna have this conversation with Chris and I'm like how my brain like I hadn't slept very well in a couple days and I know what that is. That's my brain working all of this stuff. Where like my two-day class, my PR1, my basic stuff, or even my three-day in a lot of ways, although my 3 days is going to change. But my first two days of any other class, I'm, I'm happy with. I'm content. Like, I don't have to touch anything. Where now you look at these things and you're putting concepts out to people, and you're like, wow, this really resonated. How do I make this resonate the same as this? So... Think of like, you know, four or five top-line things where three out of those are really resonating and two, you have to kind of secondary explain. So that's kind of where we're going now. But let's talk just initial, our first day, day one up at Cameo, which was our class flat work in explaining the concepts to people and getting them on the page? Because you had some really good insights where you're talking the paper, diagnostics. This is where we want to look at everybody and say, are you on the same page with us? And where do we need to go from here?
1: Yeah, I I thought it was cool that we were able to start in a classroom and kind of put up the formal expectations of language. I think at first, you've got this group of people, and even though we all talk about the same thing, saying this is how we're going to explain the... or, or. or or talk about the specific fundamentals. So you put up your expectation of language, what it means, mm-hmm. how it influences the shot. And then I was able to explain the drills that I brought out and the diagnostic paperwork and special targets and say this is what I'm going to be looking at and then take them to a flat range and let them uh, go ahead and show us where they're coming in.
0: Yeah, because like... You can't assume people are up to speed. And I mentioned that in the last podcast. A lot of people were really like, oh, my God, Frank made a big point of people coming to a class, a cameo class specifically, without dope. I mean, it's a lot harder to dope a rifle at cameo than it is at Fort Morgan or a place with a flat range. Can we do it? Absolutely. Is your data going to be rock solid leaving if we did everything at cameo? Not really. Not really. Because the targets are big, the targets aren't painted, and they don't have a watermark. So point of aim, point of impact tends to be suspect. If I'm four-tenths away from where you aimed but you hit the plate, that's a four-tenths error in your dope, and I call the hit. So this diagnostic part with the flat deck was really important for us. And, and it just showed it allowed us to look at the shooter and that's what you're bringing up shooter and paper shooter and group.
1: Yeah. I think that, that it's easy to have a conversation with somebody and it's easy to say, okay, here's, what's going to affect your group, you know, your trigger pull, your respiratory pause, your sight picture, and then, uh, think, okay, well, well, I got that because at, at home, this is, you know, how I do it. And then we look at paper and we see, okay, there's a disconnect. And then we watch how they shoot and we can see their body and we can see the paper kind of telling a story, being able to put that down on numbers and show them we can fix this. And this is what it means for distance. This is what it means for target size is really helpful when you have the person there in person and you can say, I understand what you're saying and they look at the paper and then they say back, oh, now I understand what you're saying. And the implications, they go both directions. And it's just really nice to see all of the eyes light up. And a lot of experienced shooters assume they're going to do awesome. And we aren't going to see things that we could improve. And, and we're always able to show them that, that there are right areas
0: here. Face. I mean, because the one thing, I mean, trigger control... Right, once you get somebody off their belly, and this happens with a lot of things, it's not just the alternate positions and all that, but once you start talking precision, being precise with someone, and the gears start working in their brain, they start tapping triggers, and they start doing things different. If, if, if you just flop down on your rifle and say, I'm going to shoot a five-shot group, and up front, you load five rounds in the mag, you get a thing, you're ready to go, new rifle, new ammo, whatever the deal is, and you say, five shot group, you shoot one, okay, that's cool, you shoot two, wow, that's right on top of one, that's pretty good, you shoot three, and now you're like, holy shit, all three are in one hole. This is fucking awesome. This is going to be so great. What am I going to do? I start thinking about it. It's going on the refrigerator. The wife's going to see it. I'm going to get fucking blowjobs when I get home, man. This is awesome. Hunter gatherer shit. Then you change what you're doing because you want to be more precise. You blow shot four. You say, fuck it. No blowjob. Then you go to shot five and you don't think about it and it goes right in that same hole. You changed it. The rifle didn't decide to screw you. You did it because we do things different. And that's where you need a coach and you need somebody who can see those things. When your brain decides to say or you in the back of your mind say to your brain, let's do it better than you were doing before, even though your brain was doing it perfectly fine, you're now telling your brain to do something else. And then the brain screws up. So that's why you want, like, Chris or myself there to be like, hey, I just saw what you did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we could see that on paper, and we could make notes for the shooter. Okay, they're inconsistent with their positional build, and that's going to have implications on their accuracy standards and consistency. Or this person has that, but they get in their own head, and and that stress Uh, causes them to change something or freak out and and have a fundamental error. And then we could see that on paper also.
0: Well, and let's kind of back because standards, right? What size? We kind of have an idea of what size group or target or however you want to say. Where should you be? So by us actually giving people standards when we showed up, we want you to do this in this size of a group. That's what we need to move forward. Okay, that's one form of the standard. You need to shoot your shots inside this circle. Secondly, we threw a time standard on people Mm -hmm. at the flat deck. And to me, this was huge and something that was visual and was allowed us to say, this method is working the way we want it to. And we gave them a standard of a minute to basically from everything in your arm, folded up tripod, bag, however you're going to do it, Rifle on the deck, all that. Go, and we want you to engage your first shot, and all of that should be assembled. Your tripod assembled to a position, your rifle placed on the tripod, and then a well-aimed shot fired. We gave them a standard of a minute. We're like, hey, you should be able to do that in a minute. Right? And... Their guys there was like three guys two guys in the class that were like at a minute 30 the first time we asked them to do it and we're like a minute 30 minute 20 and we're like okay here's here's the guys we got to work on and it didn't take a lot to get them the 30
1: seconds no no it didn't
0: and and so that is that's kind of part of the missing pieces that people don't realize that. It's not so much just showing somebody a video, just talking through something or handing a piece of paper with a drill written on it. You have to be able to, like Chris said, visual analyze both target and shooter Mm -hmm. together.
1: Right? Yeah. We we talked about this on a, a live cast not too long ago about the expectations that a shooter might have in a class. When you ask them, Hey, just shoot that target. And, they're kind of deer in the headlights. Like, well, I'm not sure what to do. And I think this is one example of that. You have your, you have all your equipment off to the side somewhere and you say, okay, build a standing position and take one shot at that target down there. And they don't know we're filming them. And then we go back and we look and it's takes them two minutes to kind of get set up and they're kind of fumbling their gear. They have to walk back and forth. And then you you give them a quick demonstration. So I said, all right, look, everybody had different time standards in their head, whether they were aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to talk you through this and I'm going to walk back and forth and get my gear and I'm going to set up my shot and then did that and say, okay, look, we just timed that and that took 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't hurrying. I was talking through it. I was walking back and forth to show you that even completely disorganized, it shouldn't take longer than 60 seconds. And then I think the light bulb went off and, and they realized, oh, I can streamline the efficiency here. I know what I need. I know how to do this. And and they weren't racing to get it done. They were just smoothly and effectively setting up a position, getting their rifle on and taking a shot. Now, some of you might think, well, 30 seconds is pretty slow to do that. We weren't looking for... Ultra high-end, you know, turbo shooting. We were just looking for a smooth, efficient process with no wasted movements and not taking extra time. Right. And they got down to that 30-second range pretty and, smooth and effective. Yeah, really
0: quickly. And, and just to leapfrog, I don't want to get too far ahead, but just to leapfrog, we did a a match, a cameo-based competition that set up on Sunday and we gave them a three-minute time for fine range and engage three targets, right? Every stage was blind, and you had three targets from close, medium, and far and three-minute hack. The first stage, almost everyone timed out in a certain way. And then by the time we kind of went through d- discussing what we saw, by the third stage, guys were beating the clock, So we didn't have to race and be turbo guys to effectively improve people. We didn't have to go faster than they were capable of doing in the beginning just to say you need to be faster.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Right. Right. right, right. I think that, um, you know, kind of doing, yeah, we're going to end up circling back and forth. But by the end, they were shooting eight inch squares that were turned into diamonds So whatever that is, like 11, between 11 and a, 12 inches wide diamond, right? Mm-hmm. The sides, are, it's eight inch square. Um, my, I can't do that. Yeah. Math. But it basically top, we're doing an eight
0: inch square diamond, right? Yeah, so. Yeah. so,
1: so, so we're talking about um, and the max distance was in the low 500. So um, let's say uh, just shy to 2 away. It was, yeah, that, that, I mean, and with good elevation, that's almost four. If they have perfect elevation, yes. Um, at, uh, uh, that's as that's as small as it's going to be. But when we started our diagnostics on paper, you know, people check their zero, and, and most of them did that prone, which which makes sense. And then we said, all right, let's just start building and doing this number accumulation on paper and shooter evaluation by eye between uh, Frank and I. And Frank's really good at just seeing down the line and saying, okay, we got to work with this guy physically. And then I would look at the paper and say, all right, I could see something going on here, but. um, we started to get an idea of where are they fundamentally and where are they um, in terms of, of their precision standards. And we had from about a two-inch, what I would call a two-inch shooter, all the way to a 10-inch shooter on day one. Mm-hmm. And this is like, I don't know, an hour into it. We yeah. realized, okay, we got a spectrum of two-inch to 10-inch. Well, two-inch meets the standard that we're going for. They made progress anyway, but the 10-inch shooter by the end was a, a three inch shooter. And so now we've got all of our shooters fundamentally and technically capable of hitting all the targets. And that's what we saw too, is that they didn't miss because of fundamentals mm-hmm. on day three, they missed because they either timed out, they couldn't find it or they were trying techniques where their elevation wasn't correct. Cause they weren't ranging some of them. Or right they we were kind of see how drop worked because th-
0: the plate size the range and things in this way this hunter match was set up you can take snapshots with your data mm-hmm. because we knew like Chris was saying you have a 3MOa plate or you know it's it's um what do you call it it's almost a mil tall 0.8 tall and you're shooting where if you put that data on your gun you could shoot to like a far distance and you know that plate was inside the distance. Mm-hmm. So we started kind of working we started working the numbers and angles to our favor to do things in a hunter method without ranging the targets and it was actually very successful. Yeah.
1: In it, fact, the first the first few misses at distance were because they used their rangefinders, but like like many of you know in the field, if that target's carefully placed, they might be ranging the foreground or the ground behind it. The back it. wall then, on that one. Yeah, they yeah. put in their data and they shoot. They say, oh, it went way over the top. And 50 it's because, yards. Yeah, because they, you know, okay, now we're seeing some uh, mental mistakes because of that lack of experience and understanding that if you're going to use a laser rangefinder, you better make sure that the distance that you're getting is the thing that you're actually engaging. Whereas when we showed them a quick technique to make, those types of shots work without a rangefinder. All of a sudden guys are shooting it with a 308, just eyeballing it and bang. Yes.
0: And and that was the beauty because I had two loner guns in the class. I had the two identical APO rifles. One of them was a 308. So here we have Whiz Bang class. Guys, so there's a couple gamer guns there. And there was a couple, you know. But then I have two loaner guns, two guys that you're talking about. New, one of them being a 308. Our 308 shooter, while he was new and inexperienced, he was a good shooter. Mm-hmm. He and so he allowed us to take a person with a borrowed rifle who got generally our education mm-hmm. for that weekend. Doing things with a 308 that we want to see. Mm-hmm. It was like, damn, 308's doing good. Damn, 308's not hurting at all. Damn, 308's not being limited by any shot going on here. And he actually was probably one of the top two shooters, I would say, of the eight. Yeah. I would put him in, in a higher end, but 308.
1: Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of footage, and he's he's going to be the dude you see with the white shirt. but. And, and there'll be a lot of kind of AAR and debriefing of the video footage of, of that particular shooter. He was a good rifle shooter. He's an experienced hunter, but he didn't have like what I call on the straight dope, the training scars of, I need to range it. I need to, to consult my Kestrel. I need to link my devices to my watch. I need to do it in this sequence. He didn't have that baggage, so he was really easy to say, hey, try this technique when it doesn't work. Let's add more techniques, but the thing is that technique worked for him mm-hmm. amazing at least in this particular setup. I could think of if we were trying to screw him up, we could do that pretty easy too. But in this particular setup, shooting eight inch squares to 500 yards was his 308. He just he he also and his build and break assessment started at about 90 seconds and by the end of day one was building his positions in 22 seconds.
0: Yeah, he was down 18 to 20 seconds. so 20 seconds from a guy who started about 130. Right, right. Yeah,
1: And and, and on the, the colex stages, it's not unusual on the footage that we have of him for his first shot from the stage start running up to the stage and breaking his first shot under 30 seconds means that he had two and a half minutes to two. figure out what to do on the remaining targets.
0: There was a couple times, and it might show up on the video, we may have had a few guys. It's like your last target, which is the one they had to range and be precise on, it's like, dude, you, you, you got a minute, 10 seconds to do one target, mm-hmm. you know? So we were, uh, because of the the format, because of the style, moving into that hunter mindset of that's in that's in my fucking kill zone. Let's just shoot it. I don't care where I hit it. I'm working the clock. Let's put it down. And that was allowing these guys for their more precise shot to have a, a full minute. To basically dope the wind, range the target, and shoot it with a minute left for mm-hmm. one
1: one plate. Yeah, which is really cool, and it's, it's it's nice to see that process evolving for them, and 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 um, gave us a lot of framework for how are we going to build this out because it it's unique and it has elements that any. Type of shooter could benefit from, regardless of their application. If you want precision, great, we can do that. If you want hunting, great, we could do that. If you want military tactical stuff, great, we, you know, it, 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 because it's the common theme that connects all of those styles in terms of marksmanship and equipment. Yeah, and then you layer in the things that are unique to your particular demand.
0: Now, like if you took a, like Chris or however any of us, it, even the Fort Morgan, we don't have to go to Cameo. Fort Morgan is money. Because we control the targets, we control the size. There's great wind. We can still. We have a big enough field. We can still find it, range it, engage it, and and it's confusing because there's not a lot of uh, terrain indicators. You can't say by the mound, there is no mound, you know, and so you can't do those things. But what I've come to realize in four days, we could take a team and really create something that shines it is in it could and i don't care the level of the team i mean i can take three three people who've shot before and three people who were handed the gun the first day and because of the way this program is now four days if you give me the four days in a row we can make magic I'm, 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 com- I'm completely convinced because I'm so settled in with my two-day program to get people to distance, to make sure their data's right, and to, and to get all that good. And then looking at the deck work and the targets and drills that Chris came up with and then combining them with the field and wind just brings you to another level quickly. It's fast. I was like, damn, this is what I envisioned. And it's kind of like, yes. This is quick.
1: Yeah. It was a really good combination of all the things that you do and then all the things that I've been doing. Because your program is is solid fundamentally. And then I've been doing remote training with programs like the Guardian, the 4 plus 1, the 12-week, the individual coaching. And I've got these documents. It's all 100 yards on paper. But we're able to say, okay, okay you know, they shoot this particular size. And then we measured also their ability to, um, you know, shoot and then extract information from that shot that would be usable. Like, you know, okay, you're going to shoot, interpret where the bullet went and then give us feedback mm-hmm. on what you see on paper, which, which me, it requires a lot of stuff. And, and so from the fundamental side, you say, okay, well, this comes back to recoil management position stability. And then to me, it's, it's what's your eye seeing after you shoot, how, how's your brain able to take what you saw and not just see it and respond to it, but see it and then think about something else, take that and apply it to, you know, to, to the context. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that you're right in Fort Morgan, we could do exactly what we did at Fort Morgan. I mean, at, at Cameo, the, the difference would, Basically, just be the setting. Right? Yeah, it,
0: it the the the, uh, the scenery. The only difference would be the scenery, and it would actually be better with the target package. But and the and la- one last thing too, because I had two guys that loaned rifles, right, and they had to get their own ammo and do whatever. So I didn't know, and I made a big point: don't show up in my class with no dope, man, because <laughs> this isn't a no dope class. And I made that point, and people. Got a little. There was some feelings in there, and I understand that. I gave these guys weaponized math. Chris are there? Took they're friends of his. He's he'd done this program before. He knows how weaponized math works. It's like Chris just get them at three and six with the weaponized math, and then just do the math out. They did that. I then took them out on the LRP. Hit three, six, eight thousand. You know what I mean? We did other targets, but all I needed was their three. I did their six and I actually jumped straight to six. So I jumped straight to six at the LRP. Then I went to eight and a thousand at the LRP. At eight and a thousand, they were only like two tenths off. I barely had to nudge their dope at eight and a thousand, but everything they had written out prior to showing up inside eight was hitting. So when they did that, Hunter, they didn't have to do anything with their data. Nobody missed because their dope was off. They basically took borrowed guns, three, six,
1: eight, weaponized math, showed up, it worked. Right, right. So that preloading them with a couple drills and familiarization of how we're going to do that stuff it saved a massive amount of time. And and, and yes. I never believed before I started coming and shadowing Frank's classes where he says, Oh man, people are going to come and they're going to, it's going to take us, you know, hours to work through a couple people's issues. And then you see it over and over and over again. You think, wow, we didn't, we saw a little bit of some gear stuff that, that is in, inevitably going to happen. But what I didn't see happen that I've always seen in the past is people questioning, their data. Mm-hmm. Oh, something's wrong with my Kestrel. Or I need to update it. Yeah. I, I put in a number wrong. Oh my gosh. And, and that panic of, you know, my kestrel's telling me the wrong thing. Everybody there had Kestrels. Nobody questioned it. Nobody went back. We didn't have to do any, oh God, we got to go back to the whatever range right. and we got to re-dope it. It just held through for three days. Um, and yes. we shot small targets at 45 degree angles. We shot small targets at distance. And then we did locate range and engage I mean, and nobody Saturday said, oh, my data's off.
0: We went to town Saturday on those targets in the fucking back country. Yeah. And nobody had want for, nobody cried about data. And it, like Chris said, because we took the weaponized math from the two guys who had no data, not even their guns. They fucking went to mile high, got ammo and showed up. And it was like, run these numbers for me before you show up. And they ran two charts. They ran a fast and a slow. Um, if you notice they had two index cards. It was it like I said, I nudged them two tenths at eight, and that was it. But then once you take the weaponized math and put it into the software, into the kestrel, you're 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 matching true to true. So it's not like you're putting data in the kestrel and then you have to true. We're taking pre-true data and just matching the kestrel up at six and eight, six and a thousand, whatever, and Boom, these guys were happy. Right. Nobody, like Chris said, that's such a huge weight off your brain where it's time out, I'm not hitting anything. I'm always a 10th here, a third there, over there, and, and it's like none of that. It was like missing the wind, hit with the elevation. Missed the wind, hit the elevation. Nobody, nobody had the want for that.
1: Right, and if you have a class of a dozen people and two people require constant babysitting and maintenance and troubleshooting to get then the other big group of people, they suffer because of that. And that did not happen here at all. And we had people shooting three oh eights. We had a seven um oh, a PRC, seven PRC. I mean, we, we, you know, there were, there was, there was game guns all the way to, you know, pure light hunting rifles. Nobody had data issues. And, and Saturday, when we were in the field, like we went off the LRP, we went out in the field. I mean, these guys, they, that day we shot small targets and they were shooting thousand yards, and, and, and beyond and, and,
0: because we're shooting other course targets that yeah. we can see right. so in in cameo in the back country there's sort of these like segments in between stuff where the where the road kind of zigzags so if you think of like a snake road every time it loops there's like another block of targets in front of you well you can see them so while you may have, you know, 500, 600-yard shots directly in front of you, if you go three bays back almost, three you know, three hillsides back, well, now you got a 1,200-yard target, mm-hmm. but it is is the size of a 600-yard target for that people. Mm-hmm. So it's not a 1,200-yard target at a 1,200-yard target size. Right. It's a 600-yard target you're shooting 1,200 yards away.
1: Yeah, and and, and they were in little ATVs, so they were able to go. And beforehand, I went out and proofed the stages, and I went out with my gun. And I was like, okay, from here we can, you know, we're, we're going to shoot this target, but we're going to shoot it from this other position. So you say, okay, well, I, I, I like to know the size, milling it with my reticle, because that goes back to stuff that we're teaching. And so I look and I think, okay, well, that's six tenths wide. Mm-hmm. Here's going to be my wind plan, shoot it, bang. And then I drive up uh, down the road to another shooting position, because we were looking for positions where they would have to set up their Shooting position, whether it's on a rock or a tripod or, or a tree or whatever, um, where it was not flat, and so trying to find the optimal position that would allow a class to kind of navigate through. Went ahead, and so some of these targets start off at point six, but by that by the long side, they're they're point two. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> right. Because they
0: they're no, again, they're not facing you
1: a lot of times either. You're just seeing them, and like, oh,
0: yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll wing it off an angle, you know.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then we had a, we had a shadow guy, you know, and he's Mm -hmm. in the truck spotting for me as, as I went through and proved it, you know, and he's like, that thing, Mm -hmm. thing? how big is that? I was like, yeah, it's about 0.2 wide. (laughs) Oh dang. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Yeah. So, so, so yeah, they were shooting small targets eventually, but really what we were doing is assessing their ability to locate the targets, get a good sight picture, not, not get lost in their scope, not get lost in terrain, find markers. And then, really build field positions. And, and I think the requirement for a field position is it's not perfectly flat and groomed. Like if you set up your tripod in your house on a carpet, you know, that, that's perfectly fat. It's a good baseline. It's a great, it's what we used as a baseline. But now if it's uneven terrain and there's rocks and trees and slopes and wind and different um, types of soil, it's going to demand a different Technique to build that. Well,
0: position. and now let's kind of move into day two. There, we go into day two. We did the flat deck work, and Chris. I mean, I think like this one set of drills. So now we, we crawl, walk, run, right? So we're doing the flat deck. We're getting their times right. The targets are right there. There are targets up in the in the hills, six hundred yards away. So you're still shooting targets at distance on the flat deck from your tripod. So you, there's still like a 618, a six, you know, so there's still some plates there. Well, day two, we go out and now we're working them in the field. Now field conditions, the winds, like the wind started out when you did the wind class in the morning. Like you brought everybody online, you're finding the angles, you're doing the winds, everything's coming. It's kind of quartering at us from the left a little bit. It was, it was like. Okay, put your tripods down. Let's get our rifles now. And the wind changed. Yeah, completely went the other way. And it was like, oh shit! It come like so. Everything Chris had just done to demonstrate and to work the wind problem without a rifle, with just binos, you know, with kestrels and all that. Within that time frame of just going to pick up a rifle and then to shoot something, the wind changed, but. The one drill I really thought was good and eye-opening in a way as simplistic as it was was the road setup where you had the windows. So basically, it's like you could see the target from where we're standing. So we're all in a group. See that target right there? Yep, I see that target right there. You're going to come over to Frank. You're going to go, and, and you got between the truck and the four-wheeler, the side-by-side there. So we had a little zone on the road to set up. And shoot it. All you have to do is walk up, drop your tripod down, set it up and shoot that target. Well, there was only like three holes in the terrain you can see from. But seeing where people went and which holes they begged off on or just the idea that when someone came up, they saw someone leaving from a farther area That sent them to go straight far away Mm -hmm. rather than looking like, because as soon as you got to the front of Chris's truck, there was a great hole. Mm -hmm. But then nobody used that one. They moved forward to other holes. And I thought just giving them the road and saying, when you can see the target off the side of the road, shoot it. The decision-making there was really Mm eye-opening.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was fascinating to think, okay, you know, at first you think, okay, well, they're going to walk around and try to find this optimal window for a position. Because I think you could have shot it prone from one spot, a couple kneelings, a couple standings. And some people used where somebody was or cleaning up or, mm-hmm. or something. But, I mean, most of it was blind, but as somebody was getting ready, a lot of times they think, okay, they were down there somewhere. I'm going to go down there because they shot. And you think, man, that's not optimal. But then they saw that, and then they were able to sit. And then there, then, then after you were done, you could watch other people, and you think, "Oh man, I should have done that." Or oh, yeah, well, because
0: you know, if you think about it, with two guys did with someone else what they thought someone else did. Two guys went to that spot where they thought someone else went, but then didn't really like it and tried to move. And then two guys did something different because they went earlier and shot in a different location. But it was just so. Like out of eight people, blocks of two did something different. Mm-hmm. So there was four sets of different decisions by eight people.
1: Yeah. And you could see uh, the individual tendency when you, you could see the target easily from the road. Say, so, all right, you know, get your ranges, figure out, you know, what you, what you might want to do. And some people would look at the target or they say, okay, I know where it is or whatever. And then they would say, whatever, that, that, that seems really easy and you could tell they neglected some parts when they ran up and now they don't know where the target is because they didn't have a visual reference point. They, they kind of thought, Oh, well this, you know, whatever, that, that should be easy. And then, then, then they kind of panic like, Oh, I don't have a, I don't have a visual marker. And oh, I didn't write down the range and, 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 backpedaling, mm-hmm. and backpedaling. And then they realized pretty quickly after that. But sometimes, you know, I think that that's a good opportunity to say, okay, look, you know, this first stage, we know it's going to be a throwaway because they're going to realize that they got to up their game. Kind of like the building of the position where they go, yeah, yeah, whatever. And it's two minutes. And then you show them and they go, Oh crap, I got to do it in 30 seconds here. After that, they took it very seriously to know where it is Mm -hmm. and know the distance. And that, that once we change shooting position, that distance might change. And by the end, they had these much more detailed lists and procedures than they started with because they realized that's what we were challenging.
0: Yes, yeah, and I mean, like I said, that just seeing the light bulbs, seeing the eyes go off, and in the improvements happening quickly was really great with this type of class. Then I guess, uh, you know, that w- that was the the walk kind of phase, and then the run would be Sunday with Walt's uh, Hunter match, his Western Colorado. Whatever you call Ultimate it. Ultimate Hunter. Ultimate. I actually have the thing downstairs in the car. I can go read it, um, the brochure. Yeah.
1: The, if you want to talk for a minute, I'll go get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at Cameo, uh, the guy that runs Cameo, Walt, he has a competition series that he started with his son, and it's called The Ultimate Hunter. And we used their course and had the students go through with kind of our course-defined rules rather than their strict rules because their strict rules – um, was a little bit different than the techniques that we wanted people to be able to test that were new to them. Um, but it is a locate range and engage course with these fixed targets and they have site posts. So that helps you orient to the, to the target. And it's really cool. It's it's a, it's a cool, it's a neat setup and it's designed for light kind of what you think of as light Western reactive hunting where the, the yeah. their requirements are minimal gear. We allowed our students to use the equipment that they've been training on, so that we could watch their decision-making processes. But nonetheless, they have um, two sections of Cameo, where there are five, two two separate five-stage courses with three targets, and it uses a lot of terrain that other events don't use. Um, you know, and and um, it's got a really well-marked course. It's got infill and xfill paths that are marked and followed I, it was it was constructed in a really professional way it was designed thoughtfully and you know I I have a lot of positive thoughts about that course and itself I enjoyed it able, yeah being able to use it for our colex um, was an amazing opportunity for our students to test the things that we worked on and also show them if you wanted to pursue this you could come back Try the course out with, with their particular rules in scoring. We didn't score it the way they do. They do hits for time, um, or a or a shot. For yeah, a second they, so basis. I can
0: it's called the basically it's UHRC Ultimate Hunter Rifle Comp. It's the rifle sport by hunters for hunters. So no um there's no tripods, bags, rests or supports. You can have a pack, that's about it. Um, but they say, you know, PRS and NRL let you use all the gear, so you do it in that. It, the rifle weights are limited. It's a 13-pound weight limit for the big-game rifles and a 10-pound limit for the varmint. So you have a, either, a, you know, an elk gun or a varmint gun. Uh, again, it's the hit factor scoring system. Places scoring emphasis on speed, a faster time results, and better score. And, and so it, it's done that. But it's it was really, like... Chris said it was a great setup, and because we, our people were shooting slightly different, we still looked at it time wise, though. Almost the first target, first stage was meant to be shot the way they like a hunter, just snapshot. And when we started doing that, we were learning a lot more because number one, we look at our ballistics, our target turrets, and we were able to game the, the, the system just by knowing data, knowing the target size, and knowing because it was like, you know, they give you a a, a limit. Like, you know, the red targets are going to be close. They're going to be within 200 yards. The white targets are going to be no more than 400 yards. And then the red target or the blue targets are going to be just at five or beyond. So by knowing that, in the size, we're like, don't dial for one and two. Just worry about three in that case because our drop is going to take up for both of those. Mm-hmm. And and that helped immensely for guys too. And I think speed drop will come into play. Guys who run speed drop in this course will do well because the speed drop will put you in a, a quicker, easier low place. And because the targets aren't tiny, they're shootable the speed drop will work fine. We used a lot of reticle on that and the reticles worked well.
1: Yeah, the the targets were picked to be that size because of kill zone size for Colorado mountain wildlife that people hunt. And I think what a couple light bulbs went off. At first, you know, my background as a field shooter and field shooting competition competitor, it, there, the rule sets seemed so different. And... I want my, my mind wanted to fight the idea of using what I was comfortable with. But by the end of the course, I think we realized and we experimented with packs and rifles that actually their rules and their equipment restrictions turned out to be the fastest way to engage these Yes, it was the best way to do it how they envisioned doing it. So the competition shooters that say, well, that's stupid, I hunt with a bag, or that's stupid, I hunt with a tripod – First of all, uh, you know, st- stupid is probably the wrong word, but, but people say, well, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? And the thing is, when, we, when you know, we, we did shoot their stages on their rules to test, well, how would it go following their rules? That was the fastest way to accurately get rounds on target was actually using the restricted rules. So I, I think saying, well, you could use whatever you want wouldn't help somebody get more points. I right. That, the the yeah. bag, your pack is what's going
0: to be key because we've shoot off bags enough and the bags in a lot of ways with the way because a lot of the stuff in cameo are rocks. So the bags generally are your quickest, easiest solution to drop a bag on a rock, drop the rifle on a bag and engage. Well, your pack, if your pack is right, you can do that. And then you demonstrated on that one rock. I guess there was a rock Walt from Gunsight didn't like and we used it. Chris walked up and dropped the pack on it. And it was like, holy fuck, that's super easy. Yes. And without having a bag and without having a tripod. So we always looked at the course's rules after we did it our way in our after actions. We spent time. We only had five stages to do that Sunday. And so we were able to shoot it our way, go back and look at it their way, and then try some things their way. Mm-hmm. And we found their, like Chris said, their way at times was better.
1: Oh, Yeah. I think that, um, and and I also think that as a demonstration and a reminder to people that that you know we w- it's easy to get fixed on feeling like the way I do this is right because, and then when we were able to take a pack and use the pack as a rest, you could hang a pack on a tree branch, you could hang a pack on a rock. All of a sudden, you've got this rest that is is oftentimes bigger and more stable than if you used a bag that takes zero time. You pop it off your shoulder and sling it around something, and now you've got a great setup. Being able to see that you could get away with impacts on targets faster and and have more time using almost no equipment other than – your all you, all you would need to run this course is a backpack and a rifle that was slung, and there would be no competitive advantage to carrying around a tripod and a, and a, a shooting bag – now people that are wanting to hunt, they're seeing that it works to do that. And I think it helps just to see rounds on target, this method works, and that kind of detaches you from your maybe- The gear in, stuff. Yeah, and, and the insistence that you have to have that gear stuff because we're not shooting one MOA targets. If, if, if we were shooting one MOA targets- I could see the benefit of all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, I need the
0: tripod to be per, not precise. Yeah. But I have a 3 MOA away target. I can get away with... Because our shit is that good. We've been doing this so well. We know what our sight picture needs to look like to engage it. And we'll back ourselves off of a system and let it do the work and get the hit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We recognize... More us is going to be more wobble, so we can back off even in that context. Now, the only thing I do is I said to Mike there, the RO, I said, well, I can see our type of people changing a pack to game it. <laughs> like I'm putting in, like Colin Foss and me, I have one, but internal frames to build your pack up a little bit mm-hmm. to get you off of some of the rocks different. So I would, I would play with a pack, but that would be, like Chris said, that's all you need, and it goes back to Marine Corps, me, like, my M40 didn't have a, a bipod. Our pack went on the ground first. Our rifle went on top of it. So everything legacy-wise I did in the Marine Corps with my M40A1 is what you do in this hunter course.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and I, I don't know. To me, that light bulb has been on and stayed on, and, and the implications of target size, target distance, accuracy, in this context, there was no advantage to tripods and shooting bags. The only thing that cost was time. So their scoring system of points per second makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of being able to separate out that type of uh, competitive kind of niche. Yeah, and I, I could see, okay, you could game by, you could game a, a if, if the idea was, oh, we're going to win prizes or money or something like that, yeah, I'm going to game it with a different pack. But if you're thinking about it in terms of hunting context, you know, you're know you going to want to game that too. And if it pushes equipment to be lighter, maneuverable, and multi-purpose, like yeah. that, that's kind of a win-win. So instead of carrying around a 10-pound rucksack uh, that's empty, you might have a, a, you know, a bag that is lighter but also – has surfaces off of which you can shoot stably. And if the shoulder straps are designed in a way where you can get it off quick and onto something else like a shooting sling, um, why not add function to something that you're going to be carrying already rather mm-hmm. than, oh, well, I am gonna I need to carry all these extra things.
0: Yeah, it, it almost goes to like... like me, I was thinking about it the same thing. Light bulb goes off. Well, I, I see, you know, the chest rigs in the bino. So I'm looking at chest rigs. And I'm like, man... Chris is wearing a chest rig during this. Everybody's got their bino chest rig on. A lot of chest rig, chest rig. And then I'm I'm kind of bouncing on Twitter when I get home. And I follow some military guys who make like rigs. And I'm looking at their rig and I'm going, man, if I just take that and change this and move that, I want to put that to the side if I can lay down. And now I'm looking at chest rigs and I'm rearranging them in my head Mm -hmm. for a field hunter match with a bolt gun. But, like, because the thing is, is you were excited, part of it was the AR side of it. I could do this totally with an AR. Mm-hmm. And the chest rig part was like, well, his mags and everything are going to be in it. But if I move them just slightly to the side and I take my, instead of my bino pocket being square on my chest, being vertical on my hip, maybe I can, you know, I'm looking at all these things going, wow, can I rearrange the gear? And then I'm thinking the packs, like the packs that carry in the back. Well, what if there's a modular part at the top that might hold your ammo that I could shoot off like a bag? There's a puffy part in the middle that might have my clothes and stuff stuff and that, and then there's another piece at the bottom, and instead of it being one pack, it's a chest rig on my back. You know, and I'm looking at all these different things because at the end of the day, if i got to carry out the animal – then I'm going to have the flat carry shit and I'm going to stack them up and the, and the thing. So really the pack almost gets in my way. But if I had a chest rig on my back that I can even put over, I'm like, so that's where my brain was going. Like trying to rearrange it. Cause I'm looking at military gear in, in chest rigs and medic kits and all that. And then I'm saying, well, if I move that to the side and I move that to the back, I can lay down or I can lean against the rock and it's not in my way, but I can access my mags, my binos, my rangefinder, And then I can shoot off of that because it's now like a little pouch that becomes a, a platform and it mm-hmm. becomes modular because it's not one long piece. It's three separate pieces
1: in a way. Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah. So that's where my brain was going. Totally. The, a, a couple things that, that, you just reminded me of one is that if, if you've done competition dynamics or NRL Hunter, you, you, you probably have already realized that if you run up by eye, often you can see things before you get on glass. And so you can, I, I think that the dependence on getting on glass as quickly as possible, um, it traps some people. And what we saw here is that you could see all the markers that they had, uh, you had to shoot the sequence, red, white, blue, red was, you know, 200 and in, white was 200 to 350, and blue was 350 to, you know, out. And you could see them all by eye. So people that ran up and got straight onto their binoculars, they lost field of view, and it took them much longer to find them than get up there and scan with your naked eye. And if you have to, then go to, to glass. Um, and, and sometimes when you saw the backer, you couldn't see the target, so you needed to confirm that quickly, but, but that... Interplay, play I think goes back to our assessment of can you build and break how fast can you make the transitions from one mode to another and can they be seamless and I think that all of those things contribute to the ultimate you know the, the you know the last second right right the trigger but if you can't do any of those parts That's what's going to cost you time. That's what's going to prevent you from taking a good shot. And it adds to the stress factor.
0: So, One thing I did notice with that, his shooting areas, he has a rope, like a rope around the location. So you have to be inside the rope. Most of those were long enough where there was probably three spots in almost every location you can get a shot from. What kind of shot depends on where you ended up. But it was interesting, like that one tree with the rock, everybody went to the tree side, but then like the rock was wide open, you know, but is when you walked up, it presented you the tree. And so I like the fact that if you really kind of walked across the entire rope or long way, followed the rope the long way before you decided, you had almost three options per stage that you could choose from. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in a box where like you have to shoot from here or you're fucked. You know, it wasn't like that.
1: No. And I, and Mike, I mean, I guess I can't speak for, for Walt and the design of those things, but my hunch is that most people run up and get in the box as quickly as possible rather than explore that. And often that first position that presents itself is not necessarily the most advantageous. And I think that, you know, with the context to our class, we're talking about hunting. We're talking about, um, we're talking about shooting. We're talking about the, the whole skill. And, and, and if there, you know, there's military guys there too. If we're talking about situational awareness, if you yes. just run up and start shooting you your, your tunnel vision, you need to be able to explore that. Space. That was a
0: huge point Well,
1: getting them out of being tunnel vision.
0: And, and we did, that would be, that became a focus on Sunday is don't get fixated.
1: So yeah, keep going yeah, there. The, the 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 shooting positions often had multiple good things, but they were kind of hidden at first glance if you had tunnel vision from I can go from here even though it's not optimal, but but having that situational awareness to say, look, I need to take a good shot and I want to have an optimal position. It's worth exploring the area and understanding what you need to satisfy before you start building that position, because if 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 somebody ran up and then they had to build a position and then break it and then rebuild it, I have a series of little clips that I mm-hmm. sent you the other day, um, yesterday where I broke it down. He built he builds his position like we said in about thirty seconds, but then he moves it. That's another thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. But he moved it to a place where where that didn't work. His tripod. So now he has to Redo lower it. it down. Well, that's another thirty seconds. Yeah. Well, there there's ninety seconds, and that was just because of tunnel vision. it, it told, And that was big. It's like,
0: it, and once we kind of explain to them, walk and look at the pins first. Don't just zoom to the first one and, and kind of like, because I know on that first stage and one of them, because we really broke down the first stage, which was perfect. But remember like that one spot that I hopped on at the end, I jumped on somebody's rifle and the first target was like across, you know, so nine o'clock you're shooting roughly in the clock. So the first shot I come up to the rock and it's the close, the quick, the fast is like nine o'clock. But then the other two were like 11 and 12. Like the first, so you went from nine o'clock to 12 o'clock to 11, 10 30, 11 was the blue. So like I got down and the first one you go nine o'clock, you're pointing right at it. So it was like, boom, I pointed right at it, I shot it. Well, then I never moved my body. I rotated to the left side. I transitioned. And even half the students went, is he going to shoot it with his left hand? And I just was like, yeah, why wouldn't I? I'm already in a perfect spot to just rotate the rifle to my right. And I'm going from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock. And all I have to do is shift my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And, and if I shoot left-handed, I don't move the rifle. I don't do anything. And boom, impact. It, right. it was like, it was right hand. Transition to the right, chain shoulder, left hand fire. I knocked out two targets in like 15 seconds.
1: With no range.
0: With no range and not moving. Mm -hmm. So that it was those kind of things where this is what we talk about is giving you tools for the toolbox. So when you're presented with a problem, you go, Oh, that's a Phillips screwdriver. Let me grab that. Instead of going, Well, all I got is a hammer and a flathead, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and people saying, well, why would I ever shoot left-handed if I could shoot right-handed? Well, this was an example of, well, who knows, but you... What if my if, window was going to yeah. run out? What if
0: it was walking in a spot I can't see it? Because I just shot the first one. Somebody knows I'm there. Now the second one, I either got a smaller window or I got a quicker window or they're running and shooting at me. Yeah, and <laughs> and,
1: and, and, and so, right, the, I mean, you could you could kind of answer this a couple different ways, but... but I guess, why not? I mean, you can only say that if you have the, you know, right, it's a Swiss Army knife. And if if your Swiss Army knife has one blade, you're kind of fixed into doing it that way. But if you have multiple things, you can apply fundamentals adequately. There shouldn't be a difference between shooting right-handed and left-handed. If you have two eyes that work and two hands that work and two shoulders that work, you should fundamentally be just as good. And if that means time, that frees Practical up Practical marksmanship. And think about for you know some some people I you know and, and especially on YouTube here there's probably more people that have watched it on YouTube than done it, but think of a carbine shooter in a house they're practicing right they've got the they're in the low ready, they're coming up to a doorway and they realize they're going to go the other way, they make a quick shoulder transition mm-hmm. so that they're pieing so that less of their body is exposed. Carbine shooters that are reactive are practicing right and left and right and left and right and left. And why wouldn't we do that with a bolt gun? Exactly. Exactly. Cause it's less movement. It's, it's just like, Oh, I'm going to do it this way. And, yeah. it, and it
0: works out great. I have less bad habits on my left side. I can see better out of my left eye. My right, my left finger works better technically. Cause it doesn't have the bad habits of me slapping it for a hundred years before I started training it, mm-hmm. you know? So there's all those reasons why I, I mean, left hand is my bare bet money. I'm going to win money from you every time. Yeah, you <laughs> run up, but but
1: yeah, and I have footage. We'll, well I'm gonna I'll end up having to post it, but um you're right, Frank runs up to a blind stage, sees two targets by eye, knows that time and efficiency is an issue. Now time I'm not saying that that he's trying to rush. He puts the rifle down. You could see him take a breath, you could see him exhale, he takes his shot, and then he swivels the rifle from right shoulder to left shoulder that requires much less movement. He shoots the next target. He has no range at all. Bang, bang, 20 seconds. And now, you know, if we're talking about the clock, he has two minutes and 40 seconds (laughs) to deal with a third target. If he had to do something different, you've got ample time and opportunity to do that. Also, it's a farther target, you should have more time and opportunity. I want to
0: dope the wind because the winds were the misses. And we had wind. And wind was going to be the miss. So give me an extra 30 seconds. Let me look at the plate. Let me see where the wind's coming from. I got all the time in the world. I'm still going to knock it down. And even if I, because we had a time limit, even if I screwed that first shot up, I got time for a follow-up. I can come up with a second shot follow-up and put it down. Because for me, we, we we modified our course after this first stage. Um, is hit? It's hit to move on, but it was like hit and then go, and then you can follow up if you missed it. So we gave them a... Because I, I think it's important to give people a follow-up shot.
1: Yeah. So so as a field... I mean, really what it was is a field laboratory to say, look, Frank solved it this way. Is that the right way? That's a right way. Let's Let's look at other solutions to solving this problem. And because everybody was blind, we were able to say, look, this person solved it this way. This person solved it this way. This person solved it this way. They were all effective what are the pros and cons of these and how would you take that now? Cause now you have multiple examples of effective and consider how you would take away those things. And we had a lot of shooters with a lot of hunting experience, Mm -hmm. a lot of shooting experience go, I would have never thought to do that. Yeah. But that was awesome. And I'm going to practice it.
0: At the end, we were, we were basically going, you know, Phil, you had 22 seconds left. Seth, you had, you know, 18 seconds left. And we were, bas- we were reduced to scoring them by who had the most time on the clock, which is the time plus hits. So that, that worked out well for us that we were, we were deciding within two second blocks who won the stage, you know, and, and that's what we want. We want to be able to say, every, you know, they cleaned it, they did what they had to, how much time did you have left on the clock? He had the most time left on the clock, so he was able to go in and get it done and all that. And like I said, the laboratory side of this, I want to kind of jump into that. We're, we're, we're cruising along, man. This is nice. Um, the target tree. Like Chris's targets, like the first thing, I want to go back to the flat deck with that. He had the drills. And the drills really made it because his drills translated from paper at 100, which is the stuff he practiced at green mill, until it's like, well, now I got to add in win. So let me take the paper at 100 drill and now translate it to steel at 6 and 8 for wind. Once you do that, now you now you're doing the same thing. We're not saying, "Well, do this here but don't do that here." We're saying, "Do this and do it again." And now you're adding in an element. Now you got a wind component. So it was able to do that and one of the things for me is the logical order of the targets. And I know some other guys have been working with targets and paper and all that. And for years, I did the same thing. I did the dot drill. I had the um the, the one target that Mile High I had for a while. That was the LE target. Taking Chris's drills and then going from a logical order of I'm going to be zeroing prone and then working myself up to do these drills. I see a large format printer in my future with a single page per student. And it's going to be check your zero and then move on up. And that allows us to work the paper and look at how to score them. Cause I want a little bit more room on the paper versus an eight and a half by 11 sheet. So I want to spread the drill out just a little so I could see more or clearer, I guess would be a way of saying it. But then I want you to move from prone to standing in a lot of ways and then take the target tree and excuse me, have it, lunch and have it follow you up as you're progressing in drill from our zero it should progress up with you and that's i think our next thing that we're chris and i on the back side are looking at is just realizing the drills he has because i love them i think they're fantastic and then moving them into a format that Hey, Bob, I'm going to give you a page. Take this page, start at the bottom, work your way up. The drills are written. You get, and all it'll be is give them a folder. We're going to hand you a folder with the drills in it, written. The page that you put up at 100 will have everything you need for you. And then from there, we just move on. Now we just fix people. We're not pasting targets, changing paper, putting shooting C's up. It's just let's go execute drill one. Okay, what did we learn? What are we looking at? Okay, execute drill two. What do we learn? What are we looking at in three? And and that's my next step from the like flow logistics admin side. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the missing piece that ties it all together. Your page goes with your drills, goes with what we see, and and it's done. I mean it's it's that day one cleaning up the fundamentals day two just working them through the target tree checking their data making sure that's going through and just giving them repetitions on the on the tripods and then day three putting them into a practice on the clock blind. I mean how do you yeah. beat that?
1: I mean it, it's in what makes it even more awesome really is right we have these diagnostics that we could change for each training package and then we have a hundred yards where we're doing this and then at Fort Morgan, you know, like so, we take like the, the one of the paper drills. Kind of looks like a baseball diamond, and it's got different diamonds in different arrays, and di- and that's kind of set up to this idea of working with wind. And we get all these diagnostic numbers that that link what you see and what you do. And then when they're finished with that, we can move them to the left at Fort Morgan, and the target package that we have out there is is, is pretty sick because it's basically a grid that spans 150 degrees of you know, 300, 500, 700, 900-yard multi-hanger target sizes and shape package that we can have people shooting Big and small. same yeah. series of drills but now on steel at different distances where now you can measure, okay, here's where the environmental ability of these shooters is layering in and so they're yeah they're doing those same drills but now they're doing them on steel at distance and we have this huge field of fire and huge depth of steel that we can take the same metrics of measurement that we have from paper and marry it up to what they're doing on steel at distance i I, it it's really the perfect place to run kind of the next
0: i mean that's going to be the goal is basically just start generating and pushing things to fort morgan and, and more and more and more of it into the Fort Morgan side of things. And then modifying the, the three-day class that I'm doing into a kind of modification of Chris's first day. Because, I mean, even in a three-day weekend, I can knock out a lot of this because it's giving me... I have a set of drills I use, but that changes in location for the third day. If we go to one place, we do something. If you come to my range, we do another thing. Sometimes it's ELR type stuff where we can shoot guys to a mile. Well, now we have an alternate position package where it's like day three. Let's get you off your belly. Let's just do this package and move on. And then from there, and, and I think, like I said, optimally, four days would be where I want a team to come in. You got an LE team. You got something like that. Give me your guys for four days. I'm going to turn them into rock stars. But our normal class is three day. So I think I can still do a lot within the three days and follow this model and you'll see huge, huge improvements.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even though Fort Morgan is flat, there is that spot off to the south there where we could do the canyon kind of move flow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it it would it would be cool to be able to apply that back to rim fire, but we could do blind, locate range and engage style center fire stuff from there also. I
0: mean, technically we can turn the targets mm-hmm. and and if we came from that. That south side and canyon around, if we turn some of the targets facing that way, shooting almost like we do the ELR, so instead of them facing um, east, they would be turned from east to south, and mm-hmm. then you can do the blind stages, and you would get more of a different look and a layered approach to it. Right. So we can, right. yeah, totally change change the look, or we can even run you along the road, and change the look down south, and move some things around. There's a lot of
1: things we could do out there. Yeah. So the, yeah, there is terrain, but but I do think that the target package and the direction of fire opportunities, and the fact that we can grid it out, it turns that paper exercise into a scalable distance exercise that now has those wind and environment components that are pretty freaking awesome and we just changed the target size yeah you
0: know? i was psyched i i i thought this fell fell together like perfect we had great weather good students to do this with and i just think everything fell into place so nice mm-hmm. um it, it's hard to argue it uh what i do not know if you had to run later too did you have a five thing or not Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, we're we're a little over now. What else do you have? Anything on your paper that we have to fi- finish up with?
1: Or well, I think the you know in terms of the three day format, um, it yeah it flowed and it, it was seamless. And then afterwards, you know, sometimes people feel like, well, I came in at this level, so I was expecting this, and we didn't hear any of that. We was like, holy shit, I learned a lot. I applied a lot. I, every, everybody that came in left with positive things to say. Well, yeah.
0: even like the repeat people, we did get. a I don't know if it was Mark or if it was Chris, uh, East Coast Chris. I don't remember if it was him or Mark who said they did have high expectations because me and you, mm-hmm. and we met those expectations. Mm-hmm. So that's always good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, right. One of them said it. I don't yeah. remember which person said it, but somebody's like, "Well, wait a minute. This is a Frank and Chris class. Our expectations
1: need to be up uh, here." Yeah, it was. It was. It was a really, really cool class and hopefully um you know if things go well we'll probably have another one in october
0: yeah yeah we're, we're we're gonna move we're gonna we're gonna definitely and then we're not gonna get too deep into it but expect to see a a more formal written kind of model that this will follow and and like i said i think we 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 crack that kind of code for ourselves of what our brain how our brains work to present this information in a in a way that's Quick, efficient and effective, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's how how, what more can you ask from a class is to say, give me what you're trying to tell me as quickly, as effectively and make sure it's efficient so that I see some positive result.
1: And I think we nailed it. Yeah. And and they left with things that will continue to develop. Well, they went out because
0: what's his name got stuck in traffic. And so they ended up hopping off the road and shooting like BLM. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And they were five hours and something burned or whatever in traffic. Uh, and so the two of the guys ended up shooting like BLM land on the way home. And we're practicing there and we're having a blast.
1: Totally. Yeah. totally. And I yeah. mean, that, that, uh, hearing all the positive things that are coming out of it and the excitement and enthusiasm is, I mean, shit, you couldn't ask for more.
0: No, we engaged them. It was, it was question. It, it wasn't just like, do this. It was no, what do you got? Hey, let's take a look. Oh, go do that some more. That was good. You know, it was totally a much more positive experience. But um, no, man, I think we nailed this. It was a good weekend. I look forward to doing more of it. And I think as we move this into the Fort Morgan things and start putting out more classes, people people will
1: pick up that it resonates. And when we start editing down that footage, we can post it on the lives and integrate yeah. it into the video stuff.
0: Um, again, we're going to go live in a little bit or so. I don't know what Chris is scheduled, but we're doing the lives uh, on Sniper's Hide. Get into the app, link the Hide TV on a desktop and make sure your app is working. Then once you're there, when we go live, we're able to put this footage into the live and show you like this is what we're seeing. And then we talk about it. It's almost mystery science theater that we can picture and picture, and it looks really good. Um, I mean, the, the footage, now that the app's kind of up and fired, and now that um, that we have a lot of this uh, worked out, the app is looking fantastic. I think the footage is fantastic on there, um, just on your phone, and what it allows us to do is great. So ho- look forward to seeing you guys on the live. Cool. What else you got? All right, man. Let's hit it. Yeah, we're going to be out of it. All right, guys, we're going to take off. Uh, Yeah, it was a great conversation. Thanks a lot. Thanks to everybody who came to the class, and we look forward to more. I'm up in Alaska tomorrow. I'll be back in a week, and then we'll be doing other things, but we got lots of shit happening. We'll talk to you guys soon.